0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, It is June 26, 2022, and we're continuing in our worship service where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: All right, and for the thought of the week, this is entitled More Observations, and as we can look into Romans chapter three, we can see some of the observations about the bad news. And here's the thought of the week. As the bad news unfolds, we are learning more and more of our true condition in Adam. This will help us understand our limitations accurately as we weigh the proper solutions from God. So what does all this mean for us? We know God is perfectly righteous but we were sold into the slavery by Adam's original sin, taken from Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We are in this lost and helpless condition from our birth in Adam. And that's in Psalm one five and 58.3. So before we go any further, let me say that I am not trying to pass the buck to avoid responsibility for my sinfulness before God. I do not want to justify sinful behavior at all. I only want to see things from God's perspective. The biblical perspective is God's perspective or his view of things. For all of us, the word of God is the truth. And that is in John seventeen seventeen. In fact, quote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that's Second Timothy three sixteen. We should always yield to the teaching of the Word of God over our emotions, religious training, institutions, or hunches about what is truth. Please let the Word of God be the final authority when it comes to truth. After all. What qualifies us to determine, I'm sorry, let let me read that again. After all, what qualifies us to determine truth for ourselves? And here's a quote from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And that is the thought of the week. And I would just like to emphasize um, one thing that I get out of there. There's many things in there, but one of the things is um, that we often say that our t- attitude toward God's Word is our attitude toward God. So this is God's truth being revealed, and do we respect it? Do we pay it attention as we should? So what I'm about to share is not the gospel, but it's part of the good news, and the good news is that you can choose your attitude. You can choose humility. You can choose to pay attention to what God has to say and let the spirit of truth work in your heart. You may hear what sounds like deep, expository-style preaching and think you're really digging into Scripture, but ask yourself this question. Ultimately, why do you believe what you believe? If you point to a preacher rather than the Word of God, you might want to reconsider your approach to learning from God directly. And that is my commentary on the word. And now we'll have Dave give us the prayer. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Dwight. Anyone have any special prayer requests? I'd like to uh, have my sister, uh, Gail,
0: and her family uh, mention a special prayer. Christina as well, yeah.
1: Okay, I'd like to you to the Lord of Grace. Most Father, we are here, Lord, on this Sunday, that You provide for us the necessary means to hear Your Word, Father. We ask You, Lord, as we hear Your words, Father, that You protect us, Father, from all harm's way. Father, we ask You to look for those who are in need, whether it can be financial or medical or whatever needs, Father, that they may know of You, Lord. We ask in prayer for um uh, for the present family father the church father for my daughter as well father and those who also have father may i not have announced them all father but you know them father so father as we continue on this Sunday, father we ask you lord to protect those and god us, father through, through through your truth father we ask in christ's name amen amen amen, amen.
0: thank you David and dwight appreciate that um well, it's time for us to move right into where we were in John chapter 17 and verse 21. I think we covered a, maybe a couple phrases, but we got some more to go. So you should have notes. John 17:21. As we begin to dig into this special calling Jesus is praying about, we can see the familiar dynamics introduced earlier. To note, these dynamics were new to the disciples' ears. Never has any believer had this unique access to the members of the Godhead. Quote, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's Ephesians 3.12. So we may ask ourselves, since God has graced us with so much, who exactly are we? I like this thought from Job quote what is mankind that you make so much of them that you give them so much attention that's job 7:17. 7, one unique feature of man is that we are created in the image of god genesis 127 and this seems to be a good place to start so we covered some of this um And the scripture is that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So uh, I will say that these verses do require us to take our time and look at them. I am not really focused on how long it takes, but I want to be thorough, making sure we do cover the bases here, and then even reflect on what some of these thoughts are. Take our time with these verses. No rush. So we covered some of these phrases. We cannot go back and cover all of this again. So. we did, we wouldn't really have opportunity to keep moving. So we are at, I think we finished point E in our notes, uh, and that would be 2E, just as you are in me and I am in you. And we covered, if I were to, if I were going to go back a little bit, I would look at point D, where it says this should take us back to chapter 14, where Jesus was Pressing the disciples to believe that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. He was pleading with them. He was trying to tell them, look, you've got to believe me on this point. This is important. Uh, so, And that's John 14, 8 through 11. We saw the classic verse Philip said, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. We saw where Jesus demonstrated that it wasn't just him telling them that. There was a dynamic going on inside of him that he wanted them to understand. And that's why he labored with them. And Now, part of this understanding is not just Jesus wanting to tell the disciples this information. It's the Father speaking through Jesus, wanting them to know this information. Later, we see Jesus says, I have revealed them you to those you gave me they were yours you gave them to me this is all in John 17:6 and 7 and they have obeyed your word right they 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 understand they know right they got it they got the message so we see full circle what happens and then we covered e Point E, we can see why this was important for them to believe, because the same relationship would be theirs on Pentecost. Now, the relationship we have defined, and I talked about a lot of things like, what does the word one mean in this verse? That all of them may be one Father? And we talked about how that, you know, there's going to be some (laughs) scriptures that define that for us. But what we come to learn is, hey, Jesus has told us exactly what he thinks it means and that's going to be important to us for what we want to focus on. Jesus told us. And he gives us this in point number two, just as, in the same way as, according to, in proportion as, you are in me and I am in you. So all that, interesting talk that the disciples couldn't understand they didn't believe it that's what they was he they heard him they just didn't believe it well i want to stop before we get into this lesson today to talk about that for just a second because it's important that we believe it too and the believing it part means that god can do something different That is not in our theology. He can do something that for us would not fit what we were raised with or what our religious experience has taught us or (coughs) what we have to do is follow what the Word says. And often when I read the Word, I see that it is supernatural. It's telling about things that there's no way we could know. Until unless until and unless we believe in what the word is saying, that's why Jesus said, "Believe, you believe in God. Believe also in Me." He tells them there's a place that He's preparing in the heavenlies for them, a home where we will be what God has destined us to be before time began. So we we want to make sure. That as we keep our focus, that we believe these things, right? And what, what is Jesus talking about for us to believe? Just faith is, people look at faith as really not real. Like something can happen by faith and they don't, they don't see it as something that really changes. It's just, in their mind, it's a mindset that we just have to have. We just have to believe it. Doesn't mean it affects anything really in the world or in us. No. That's not what's happening. Jesus said that this is what's going on inside me. And he told them that the Father was living in him. This is not just oh by faith he's in me. No, he's in there. <laughs> he really in there. This is something that a change that happened in Jesus where the Father literally was living in him. He was present in Jesus. And he was teaching in Jesus. The, the way that happened was Jesus surrendered himself to this dynamic, this new thing that never happened before. And this is how it works. This is what it means to be spiritual for Jesus to be fulfilling the purpose for which he was called means that the father would he would be giving access to the father of his life. And that's what he did. That's what it meant. So it's so faith is not something that is not real, something that is ethereal, something that is sort of like only for us, it's not really true but it's true for me. That's not what faith is. When we trust God, remember, God is the one who created the physical world. He's the one that made these changes that you can look around outside and see. And as I look around, I see oranges growing on the tree. God is the one who affected that. Not, when you say, well, it's faith. Could faith have done that? Faith is real. It's what God thinks. And when we have faith, it's not about hoping to get something that we want. Faith is directed. The, the object of faith is the word of God. So I say that to say a lot because in this, that point of, uh, of E is where we turn the corner because the same relationship that will be theirs it would be theirs on Pentecost. And it's not just theirs, but ours. Jesus, through the baptism of the Spirit and the Father, are living in us. It's not some thing that you can just shake off and say, yeah, but. No, it's there. That's what's happening in the church. That's a dynamic that is going on in us and that was the stress that Jesus was putting on all of this for the disciples to say, "Look, you gotta believe this. This is not only I'm telling you this is happening in me right now, but it's going to be happening in you. This is what's going to be happening in you. Not now, but when the Spirit comes, the Spirit of Truth. This is what's going on. When the Spirit of Truth in Christ, well, we could see what that led him to do. Tell what the Father's plan was. It allowed the Father to tell his own plan in them, in, in him rather. And it's going to allow the Father to tell his plan in us. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. Uh, he says, praise be, this is Ephesians 1. I'm going to read it because it's it's not in the notes, but I'm just this is just introduction. Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So there, Paul is extolling the Father. He's lifting him up in praise and thanksgiving because of what he has done. So the father's not dormant in you. The father is active doing the very same things that he was doing in Jesus. He's about his business. And what did, what did Jesus do? He moved over and let the father do what he wanted to do. He trusted the father. He submitted his life to the Father to do what the Father wanted him to do. It was important. So back to our notes because I wanted to make that point because that's what's going on in us. That's where we are and I don't want to pass this point without saying it so that people will understand that we are saying there's a change. We might look like other people we might even behave like other people in this world. But we are not like other people. There is a difference between us and other people. We are not in this world. We literally have been chosen out of the world. Some of these, these things are not just, well, it just says that about us. No, it's for real. There's changes that have occurred in us. That set us apart. Can we orient to it? Can we orient to understand what is about us that's different? It takes renewing our minds. Before we are able to adapt to and orient to what really happened to us. It takes renewing our minds. So, let's get into it. So, we're in, here's where we left off. Point F. In hindsight... We can see that this new spiritual dynamic is the direct result of the baptism of the spirit conferred on them and all of us who believe in. Uh Hold on a sec. Yeah, so it has to do with, let's just go (laughs) repeat that again, sorry. In hindsight, when I say in hindsight, I'm saying because we can look back now and we see that because this new thing that Jesus is talking about was the result of the baptism of the Spirit conferred on us who believe this new message, this new in this new hidden from the Old Testament age. Notice it's hidden from the Old Testament. and we, And Paul does a great job with using the term mystery. To understand that that this age that we're living in we're not jew we're not gentile we're not male female slave free none of that we're in christ and we this new relationship that we have this new uh dynamic going on inside of us did not exist in the old testament it was hidden from them but all of it is a result of the baptism of the spirit to note There are five identified, and there may be more. I say identified, meaning we can find these in the Word, and we can talk about them in the Word, about us, from uh, a biblical standpoint. And there are new ministries. They didn't exist in the Old Testament. These are ministries of the Spirit. And what are they? Baptism, sealing, indwelling, filling, and gifting. Those five things happen that are unique to the church age. Obviously, we have two more things or, you know, salvation is not a part of those things. But salvation happened in the Old Testament. And how God, the Holy Spirit, worked in the hearts of unbelievers and how he makes uh, our faith effective for salvation and all of that. That That's not new to the church. That was new. That was a part of the history of mankind god had that from the very foundation of the world but those five ministries did not begin until pentecost when i say identify that's what we know and they have subcategories too like the filling of the spirit doesn't just mean uh, we're filled up but we're influenced and teaching is a part of the filling of the Spirit. And, te- and filling the Spirit is the motivation behind what your spiritual gifts are. I mean, we could talk about each one, and there are categories in each one. So filling of the Spirit is one, and then you could break that down to A, B, and C. What, what, does this, what are the thoughts of this filling of the Spirit? We can do that with gifting, we can do that with indwelling, sealing, and certainly we can do it with baptism. Point G, we're moving on. The relationship we have with Jesus is essentially the same he has with the Father. How will the world see this? Now, uh, when I say that, I'm not making a statement. Remember, the verse we are on says, Just as you are in me and I am in you. He is explaining what one means. What the word one, when it says... That all of, them, all of them, not just the disciples, but us too, will be one Father. And he explains, just as you are in me and I am in you. I'm only making this application. The relationship we have with Jesus is essentially the same that he has with the Father. How will the world see this? Let's look at John ten thirty through 39. We've gone through this before, but we've got to go through it again just to make sure. John chapter 10, 30 through 39. Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. I'm going to ask you to make sure you look at the context of this to make sure this is in context because we don't have time to go through the whole chapter. That's your your opportunity to look at that. But he says the same statement. I and the Father are one, that they may be one. And that same word is used, one. What is? What happened? How did the world react to him saying this? What did they think of it? Did they just say, oh, well, you know, he's just talking about, you know, he, he's not really under, saying what he's saying. It's just by faith he's saying that. No, this is what it says. again. The, again, meaning they did this before, meaning this wasn't the first time Jesus said something that angered them to the point where they wanted to kill him. Again, the Jewish oppo- his his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Listen, when people start looking around on the ground for stones, you better have a plan. And that's what I'm sure Jesus got away. But the, he he confronts them. He says, "Whoa." He says, I have shown... Jesus said to them, verse 32, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Jesus never credits those works to himself. It was the Father doing the work in him. I have shown you many good works. And he's saying from the Father, from God. As far as they were concerned, from God. For which of these do you stone me? Remember, they... All they had to say was, I and the Father are one. For them, that was enough for them to say, that's blasphemous. You deserve death. Verse 33, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you are mere man, claim to be God. So notice, huh, interesting. How would the world see this? They will see it as blasphemy. I'm just saying this to you because, listen, we already are talking about this. The same relationship that Jesus had with the Father is the same relationship that we have with Jesus and the Father. Are we one? Can we say I and the Father are one? I'm just wondering. Can you say that? Is that something you can say? Or, Or do you dare not say that? Because you're afraid of what the people might say. I'm one with God. That's what this is to say. Now, they reacted violently to what Jesus said. So Jesus defers the whole thing. Verse 34, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. And he's talking about the rulers of uh and, and if you go back to the psalm where this says it, Jesus defers them to that. In other words, this is not the first time somebody in the word says that they were gods. But Jesus understood. It's a lesser sense of God in that sense. But he's letting them know you can't. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside. In other words, you guys are supposed to be experts in the law. You You should know this. Then he takes it to another level. What about the one whom the father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. And, but this is how he defends it finally. That this truly is going on inside of him. The father was in Christ. There was no doubt about it. He couldn't, he couldn't say, well, it's not really going on. It's going on. So verse, this verse 37 is the verse that tells the story. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. Well, he was doing the works of his father. In fact, that was what Nicodemus said. He was like, well, no one can do the things you do unless God is with them. There is no way. They watched Jesus heal people. They watched Jesus. In fact, he's getting ready to raise Lazarus, resuscitate him from the dead. I mean, in chapter 11, in our narrative here. But in chapter 10, remember, they were already at odds with Jesus. Verse 38, but if I do them, and he does, and they already acknowledge that he does. They said, now we're not stoning you because you did good works. We're not stoning you because of all the miracles that we see you doing. We're stoning you because of what you just taught us, what you just tried to say. But they don't understand the new dynamic. And they refuse to understand. Even though God is testifying to it by signs wonders and various miracles given by the holy spirit performed in the power of the father he says verse 38 but if i do them even though you do not believe me it's the same thing he told the disciples believe the works you know that i i'm not just a regular person here talking to you i'm here but there's something going on inside me that you can't deny i'm doing the works That the law says the Messiah would do. That you would know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You think that satisfied them? Absolutely not. What does it say in verse 39? Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. That's why I said you better have a plan. Because (laughs) the world will not Believe you. The world will not accept that this is going on. But do you know what? We have the same issue that Jesus had. Because if we're going to have this, just like it says, just as Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. It's the same type of oneness that we have. We have that dynamic going on inside of us. We do. And the world is going to respond to that. In violent ways. Paul says it another way. I know this is not in our notes either. 1 Corinthians. I keep digressing. We're not going to get very far. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 15. What is a person going to say to us? Here it is. Oh no, it's actually 14. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the spirit. Does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Now, that's the first thing. See, they don't accept. They don't will not believe it. But then it goes on to say something else. He, how they feel about us. But considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned. You can only get this information from the Spirit of Truth. You can't go to the Old Testament and look it up. You can't go digging up rocks from ancient civilizations and, and looking at the stars and all the things people do and think they know something. This information can only come from one source, and that is the spirit of truth. That's it. And they're going to say, to you, it's foolishness. Well, it says, I, has not seen, ear has not heard. It's the deep things of God. It's the mystery. It was, it's the message that was destined for our glory before time began. They're going to say it's foolishness. But to us, it's reality. Because we are the recipients and we, the Spirit of God is directly teaching us. Verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. That's something you ought to know. Why? Because they can think about what you, what you are, who you are, all they want. But they'll never know you unless they come to Christ and allow the Spirit of Truth to teach them. They will never know who you are. They'll never understand what's going on. In you so this is the way it works so go go back here okay so here we are we're in point G that was the point I just wanted to make point H let's recap so far we can see that one the new orientation is the result of the baptism of the Spirit at Pentecost this new orientation we have we did not always have man did not always have this remember from the Old Testament from angels, from all rational creatures. This was hidden. It was not revealed until Pentecost. Now, of course, Christ gave us an introduction. is what we've been studying in the Gospels just 50 days prior to it literally happening for them. He He revealed, but he says, I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, Pentecost, he will guide you, he will direct you, he will lead you into all truth. And that's what he's been doing ever since in this age. So that's the first, this, it, it's the result of the baptism of the spirit. We talked about there are five ministries. Well, the one that causes this, what we call mutual possession, where God possesses us and we possess him, is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not about an, it being emotional. It's not about laying on the floor and kicking your legs up in the air. It's about the specific message that the Holy Spirit is bringing to this age. That's what it's about. We're talking about the life, the dynamics, the spiritual dynamics that going are going on inside of us. Point number two. The new change will result in the disciples and, quote, all of them, that means us, being one. We've been covering that. This new change that happens is for us. It's not for Moses. It didn't happen for them. It's not for people who are outside of this age. Well, this age will close when the rapture happens. And we will forever be with the Lord at that point. But right now... This is what the order of the day is. For the disciples, they were on the cusp of it; it hadn't happened yet, but they were getting—it was getting ready to happen—and Jesus was preparing them. So, so the new change will result in the disciples um, and us coming to this information. Point three. Uh, the relationship is modeled for us by Jesus and the Father. So when I say modeled, we saw, Jesus said it. Same thing that's happening in me now, it's going to happening in you. We saw John twenty twenty three on that day. To the day. It wasn't like, well, it'll be a season when this happens. No, on that day, the Spirit is coming, the Spirit of truth, and he will take up residence in this world. He will be with us forever. And obviously, it is only for believers. This is something that happens not for the world, but for believers. All of this is facilitated by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through what we call the baptism of the Spirit. So it's modeled for us by Jesus and the Father. All we got to do is look at all the stuff that was happening with Jesus and the Father, and He reveals it to us. We can see that that's what's going to happen for us. That's why Jesus was emphasizing it the way he was. Point number four. The new life we have with the resurrected Christ is just as or the same as his relationship with the Father. That is unique in and of itself. So we're talking about the man, Christ Jesus. But we're we're saying Christ, he, he didn't just take on the nature of a human being, and now we we share only his humanity, he introduces us to the Father who doesn't have humanity. Our relationship is not with just the humanity, our Lord, of Christ. Our relationship is the gateway to the members of the Trinity, to knowing them, not just having being the beneficiaries of some of the things that they provide us. Not just, oh, well, we get eternal life because God gave it to me. No, we get to know them. We're in close proximity. We have relationship with him to this extent where we have fellowship. Only beings who are like can have fellowship. I mean, this is, when you think about it, we... You know, people think they have fellowships with their, you know, with their pets. My pet loves me. They just love me. Really? We don't. We don't have relationships and fellowship with pets. Even though pets are very predictable and they operate by instinct, they, they may give us what we want and what we need, but they don't provide true fellowship. You can't talk to your pets about things that are going on in your life. They may look at you and turn their head left and right, but they don't understand what you're talking about. That's what they're telling you. They don't get it. It's a different world for them. Now, when it, I'm just going down a rung, right, because the animal world, but then God has brought us to a level of fellowship where we identify, we can identify with the members of the Godhead. It says that we have this fullness. The Fullness of deity. I mean, how do you... Really? <clears throat> we have relationship with the Father. Not such that, oh, we just receive eternal life from Him. No, we, this brings us into a place where we can know them. And they can know us. We can have The the relationship fosters a fellowship with them. Never before seen. Never before seen. I mean, before in the Old Testament, God was behind some curtain. He could never really, even the priest never had a relationship with God and fellowship with him. He better do what he had to do and get out of there. He didn't have no opportunity to say, well, let, let me get a cup of coffee, God, and sit down. and Let's talk. Let's just, let's just talk no it was very specific what they were told to do how they could approach God you better have this and you better do that and this better be also that's not the way it is with us we have access to the Father and this is unique so it was modeled also we're going to point I now This one that we're talking about, then, is a reference to mutual possession, also modeled by Paul. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. Paul speaks of this. Now, we, we can talk about all this, but now, past the church, past Pentecost, past all that, not past the church, but past the time when the disciples were there listening to Jesus before he died, Past Pentecost, here we got to the Apostle Paul. And this is what he says. This is how he understood it. He says, I have been crucified. Now, really, we got to read 19. Because it just helps us understand something as well. Paul says in 19, For through the law, I died to the law. Now, get this. You may not have seen this before. For through the law, I died to the law. Through the law means that the law did its work on the apostle Paul. The law showed Paul really what he was. And that would be dead in transgressions and sins. Just like we read in the thought of the week. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul didn't see that when he was a Pharisee. He thought, as far as the law is concerned... Blameless. So he he's saying here, through the law, what happened? I died to the law. That, for a Pharisee to say, I died to the law, is a total new identity. The law meant everything. If you took the law away from the Pharisee, you don't have a Pharisee anymore. I don't know what you have. A disobedient Pharisee? I don't know what you have, but you don't have a Pharisee. That's what what their whole life was dedicated and committed to, which was the law. Paul says, I died to the law. Through the law. Once I finally saw what the law's purpose was, I died to the law. And then, hold on. So that I might live For God, so this is to say, he wasn't living for God before. He he was serving the law and being a Pharisee, but that wasn't living for God. Paul says, "I did all that so that I might live for God." These these attitude things that he had to come to understand through humility. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. Verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. See, it fits the, the who he was prior, no longer there. That's not his motivation anymore. He's not trying to solidify his old identity, identity as a Pharisee before people. He's going out presenting himself, hey, I'm <clears throat> Pharisee Paul. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this, but a lot of people still think about their identity when they're in Christ. As though that meant something. Well, you know, I'm of this. I'm of that. You know, I've achieved this and I've achieved that. Oh, my previous job was this and this is what my previous job was. And, I, and that's, I want people to know who I am. No, that's not important anymore. Paul's saying, I'm dead to that. He says, I've been crucified, I no longer live. That life is not what's circulating in my stream of consciousness. And he says he's been crucified, he understands the baptism of the Spirit did that. But baptism of the Spirit is positional. Paul is showing you what it means to be experienced. He's had his mind transformed so he can understand what his true identity is from the Spirit of Truth so he can talk about what it feels like to him now. What it's like. Because people who, who are baptized by the Spirit don't necessarily know it. You've got to learn. The Spirit of Truth has to teach you this new identity so that you can orient to it. It's still a matter of humility. You could see where the Apostle is here. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Wow. That is just like the statements we were reading with Jesus saying about the Father. The Father lives in me. Believe it when I'm telling you, Jesus said, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Those works are evidence that this is true, it's evidence of, of the fact that what Jesus is saying comes from a place that is not human, it comes from God. So the life I now live in the body, so he's, he's not saying that he, he is not uh, here anymore, he's, he understands where he is and is what's happening he says the life. I'm still here. I still remember all the stuff I did in the past. Some places he even laments it. He says, "Man, I, I don't even. I shouldn't even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I was a terrible person." He knows all that. He's not somewhere else. Where he doesn't. You ask, "Who are you?" I don't. I'm somebody else. I'm in Christ. I don't have any identity. No, he is the same person. His new identity is now, his identity is changed because of the work of God, the baptism of the Spirit and the new identity that he in humility has adopted. I lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There it is. The life that we live is by faith. Now faith is not something that is not real. Faith is real. Faith is what God thinks. Faith is what God has done. You could say, oh, by faith, God formed the universe. He spoke it, and the universe came into existence. Is the universe real? Absolutely. That's how we understand it. It's by faith. Faith is what God's, the works of God. We're, we're trusting in him, not in ourselves. It's, we're trusting in the work of God on our behalf at this point. That's what Paul is doing. He loved me and gave himself for me. I could read verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Wow. Paul, he really gave us something in that passage. So we're at point I. One, then, is a reference to mutual possession, also modeled by Paul. Let me just say one thing about mutual possession. I'm sure we might get into it later, but at least it'll be something that if I do get into it later, it'll be reinforced. Mutual possession. What is that? I and I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We already identified that and it makes us one. We, Jesus says the one is referring to our relationship, just as you are in me and I am in you. I have termed it in others. Have termed it mutual possession. Why? One possesses the life of, the, of another. Mutual possession has positional and experiential aspects to it. Well, uh, let's talk about both. So, mutual possession, when it comes to positional, well, we're all baptized by one spirit into Christ, into the body of Christ. Now, even though it didn't say and Christ is in us. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. That's mutual possession. And how do we get into this? We were included in Christ when we heard the message and so forth. That's Ephesians 1.13. We covered that. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, right? all of that happened. The sealing, the baptism, it simultaneously happens to us. We are put in the body of Christ, sealed, uh, given a deposit, all that. So when we think about this um, mutual possession has positional aspects. You got to learn about all that. You didn't know that. This is why it says in Romans 6 where it says, "Or do you not know that so many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death." And like Christ, you know, he goes and he starts out saying, "You may not be aware of this fact." But this is what's going on inside of you. You may not know. So, but it was true. Paul was not saying, yeah, since you don't know, it's not true. No, that's not it at all. Because people didn't know they were continuing to operate under the old dynamics. Sin nature, all that. So the whole thought is positionally you may not know it. But experientially you have learned. It takes humility to learn because you're learning things that are not what you've been taught. Not what eye has seen or ear has heard. Not what is familiar to you. So we have to learn by the spirit of truth leading us through the word of truth. Um, what and who we are. That's the only way is to allow God to tell us. If he made us something that I has not seen, as yours not heard, he's going to have to tell us what that is because we, there's no way we can investigate it any other way. So mutual possession has experiential and positional ways of thinking about it. Well, positional first. We all are positional the moment we are included in Christ, the moment we are baptized in Christ. But po- the experiential comes later as we begin to learn about it and conduct ourselves accordingly to the place where we can get to, like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified. I don't, it's not about me. I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. He talks about it from that aspect. So mutual possession is has to do with humility as well. It's positional, where it happens the moment you believe in Christ, But it's experiential as you begin to experience the presence of the Father and Christ in you. Paul is saying, Christ lives in me. He's not saying, I think it is. I think this is what's going on. He knew it because he was experiencing it. So what makes the difference? The knowledge, the transforming of our minds understanding of what God has done, the trusting God in His Word, it, uh, it fosters the reality being able to happen. We are, in fact, sons. And the Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are, in fact, that this is the reality for us. He te- the Holy Spirit, this is a personal testimony that He gives us as sons. So anyway, this is mutual possession where there's another aspect of it. I said it was positional, experiential, but the other aspect of mutual possession is the humility, the commitment and love that we trust the Father. Right? That, and we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were, are willing to allow our minds to be transformed into his image. We are willing to allow that to happen for us. To set aside our thoughts, our previous preconceived notions and religious theology and trust something that is completely new. The disciples had to do it. They had to put aside their theological views and say, well, okay, well, that's not in the Old Testament, but I trust that this is true. And they went along, They went along with it because they said, this was coming from Jesus. We know he, the works that he's been doing. We know. We've been with him since the beginning. Even if it crosses these barriers that we set up in our minds religiously, is true. And they trusted in the truth. And they got to Pentecost. So it's a matter of submission. Like Christ said, I love the Father. I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. It's a matter of us submitting ourselves. Like it says that we are to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Giving of ourselves. Ourselves doesn't just mean, I surrender all, you know that song. It means that you give over the rights to your life to Christ. You give him what the humility requires that you submit to him in his understanding. And what is his understanding? The Father's plan. So, but, so that's one aspect. So that's how Christ can live in you. That's why Paul says the life I live. I live by faith in the doctrines, the, the teaching, the, the thinking of Christ. That's how I live my life. It's his thoughts. He's in me living and his thoughts are dictating what I do. Simply put, his thoughts are in me. The mind of Christ is in him, dictating what he does in this life, in this world. So he's given his life over so that Christ can live him. You can't have you living your life and then Christ living his life in you too. It doesn't work. It's just like John the Baptist. He must decrease and... No, no, no. We must decrease and he must increase. So there is that gradual understanding. Now that was a physical thing going on at the time. People were loving John the Baptist, but they had to orient to who John the Baptist was pointing to. But in us, it's a battle about us, our lives. I got a right to live. I got rights here. This is my life. Don't tell me what to do. You know This attitude that we have, all of us have it. But then here comes Christ. He says, I bought you. You're in me now. I raised you up and seated you in heavenly places. Now, can you orient to that? Look up there. That's where you are. See, way up there. That's where you are. Far above all principalities and powers, dominions and titles that could be named. That's where you are. Can you look up there? So mutual possession is you surrendering yourself. Because your surrender allows <clears throat> Father and Jesus to do their work. But if you don't have that surrender, then they can't do the work that they're trying to do. That's why Jesus said it in this way. If you keep my commands, then I will show myself to you. He who loves me will do what I tell him. And I will. the Father will love them. And we will come in and show. That's why it says that. We're talking about experience there, not positional. Because positional happens for everybody. But you can't have experience unless you have the positional. Does that make sense? I hope it does. You need the positional first before you can even get to experience. Because it wouldn't be true if it wasn't positional. It's not true of you. So you're responding to what is positional. It's only natural because it belongs to you. That's who you are. For real, you're living according to what God has done. These changes literally have been made in you. Everybody listening to me right now, if you're saved, these changes have been performed in you. All right, so you got a couple more points to make here. Uh, that was Galatians two twenty, and I was expanding a little bit on mutual possession. Oh, we gotta say this. Okay, what's the other side, right? So that's Christ in us, the Father's in us. What's the other side? Us in them. May they also be in us, right? Uh, or we will be in them. May we also be in them, and they are in us, right? So there's two sides of mutual possession. That's why it's mutual. What is the side? What's the other side? What do they share? What does the Father share? What what do we get from being in Him? Uh, you already probably know. It's the Father's plan, right? This is the re- revelation. You ask me, what is the Father all about right now? Like, what are you all about right now? You, This mutual possession should transform you so that you are about the Father's business. So when we think about us being in the Father. Well, nobody can know what the, what was hidden in the Father's heart. Nobody, except those the Spirit of God reveals it to. We are privy to that because of mutual possession, because we are in the Father and the Father is in us. Well, the Father in us, He wants to express on the ground His life through us. Well, what is? How is that going to happen? This can only happen mutually. As we have the humility, we learn the Father's plan, which is something that the world hadn't learned. Nobody learned. It was hidden in God. Now he's opening up his self to you. He's giving himself to you. He's telling you who he is and what he's all about. And you might say, well, I don't know... What color socks the father wears. I don't know what color his eyes are. I don't know how he parts his hair. I don't know. You could say all that, but that's not what it's about. It's about his eternal purpose. Has he revealed it to you? Absolutely. Is it available? How much of it do you know? It's all about, it all relates to your humility and submission. You are learning of the father. That's why it says, Don't look at things down here. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the throne and you're sitting there with him. That's what you should be thinking about. Well, what is that? That is the mind of Christ. That is the Father's eternal purpose. So we mutually possess him in that his whole life is revealed. What is his whole life? father's eternal purpose so that he can mutually possess us and what, it, what are our lives all about him doing the work in us it is not us doing the work it is christ in us living in us doing the work so that's mutual possession we'll talk more about it i'm sure stay tuned point j in this dynamic, one person possesses the life of the other person. For the facilitation of the Father's plan <clears throat> for us, it is positional from one from day one. This right? is some of the stuff we just discussed. It is positional from day one, but it is experienced by our humility and submission to the plan. The plan is the eternal purpose of the Father. I'll read a couple scriptures, which I I think we covered. I may have just said what they were. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I'll read them, but we're going to close after this. So, uh, we'll take just okay. bites of this. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you also were included in Christ. This is the baptism of the Spirit. When you heard the message of truth, Tells you exactly the gospel of your salvation. Tells us what the message of truth is. When you believed, there's our response. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, gra- guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. In other words, this is what God wants. This, this is. T- to the praise of His glory. He wants this of us. This, this pleases Him that we have done this. And then Romans 8.16, which we might even read a couple more verses around that, but I'll read 8.16, says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And I'll read 17. Now, if we are children... Then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So, there's much to be said about us, about who we are, what God has made of us. We're going to talk more about it as we continue on, as we cover these things in more detail taking all the time, whatever bites we can each week until we get to the end of this verse. And we got some extremely intriguing verses ahead of us as well. So, a little bit at a time, one day at a time. God willing, we'll be here next week to continue this thought. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for grace. None of this has to do with our doing, our meddling, our sticking our nose in your business. It is about our humility and submission to what you have told us, your way, not ours. We thank you, Father, for (laughs) what you've done. And uh, even though we don't get our way in in this, your way is so much more fantastic, so much more fulfilling, more overwhelming to our souls with joy than anything we could possibly ever have for ourselves. We thank you for those who are here, those who have given us their time and attention, their diligence. We pray for wisdom for all of us as we look at these things and we begin to form the words and understanding about who we are in Christ. Father, we pray for this church, the members, the extended family, those who are sick among us. Lord, we're lifting them up as we speak in our hearts. We ask that you would continue to teach us in this manner and bring us back next week so that we can continue this thought of what the spirit of truth says to the church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.